Welcome to Black in the Air. Larry Wilmore, Black in the Air, live from the Texas Tribune Festival. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Thanks to be here. Thank you very much, Texas. Always good to be in Texas. I'm very excited. My guest today is Cecile Richards, president of Planned Parenthood. Came all the way from New York City back to her hometown in Texas. Don't mess with Cecile and don't mess with Texas, right? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of goes together. Okay, I'm really excited. A um, couple of things. Uh, I always like to do a weigh-in, if you guys have heard my podcast at the top, and I ask people to send in some questions <laughs> on Twitter. You people are hilarious on Twitter <laughs> and email. So, so let me just go through a few of these, and then I just have a quick thing to say, and then we'll get into, um, into this interview. All right, the first question is <laughs> uh, from Scrub Daddy, I think his name is. <laughs> I know. What is it with... I, I don't know if that's a real name. At my treat. You would think that would be the handle, right? Scrub down. Why do white people be like that? Hmm. It's <laughs> an interesting question. I don't know, Scrub Daddy. I don't know why white people be like that. Um, maybe... We're in Texas. Maybe we'll find out some of those answers. That's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, Mile High Oot at Johnny Yas. He says, Is there any hope for a democracy based on voting by policy over voting for people. I don't know if I know what that means exactly. I think anytime you vote, you're kind of voting for a policy, I guess. You know, I would say, look, I always have hope for our democracy because I believe in the people ultimately, but you just, I think you just have to remember to vote. That's the key to keeping our, our democracy, right? <laughs> remember to vote. Nick at Nick's Myth. What in life is truly objective and not subjective? I love these philosophical questions. Like, who do they think I am exactly? I will tell you, though, I think that most things are subjective. I mean, you could even argue, I know this is a little nerdy, I apologize for that. You could argue even math and science is subjective. I had this argument with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Because if you went somewhere else in the universe, there may be different rules about physics and that kind of stuff, you know. So I think most things are subjective, yeah? It's pretty heavy. Yeah, it is heavy, huh? Yeah. Except for that statement, which is an objective statement. Mm. John Mumford, which of Ketchup Caligula's appointments has done the most damage? <laughs> okay, so let, let me catch it. So he says Ketchup Caligula. So I asked people to, I'm talking to Cecil Richards for you people out there right now. Not officially yet, but she's just here. So I asked people to put together a fruit and a dictator to describe Trump, you know. <laughs> Like, I, I started with Orange Julius Caesar, which is technically a drink. Technically a drink, right? And, uh, but we've had names like uh, Nectarine Noriega, which is pretty good. That's, That's pretty good. good. Uh, Papaya Papadoc is one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> I just like the way that flows. Um, my favorite, though, is Tangerine Idi Amin. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I mean, it just, you're right? It just, it has everything to it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, I think the Nectarine Noriega is doing the most damage. Um, I don't care about his appointments. I think he's the one we got to worry about. All right, let's do one more. Charlie DeSalle sent an email. Where do dressage, is, is it dressage? Is that how you pronounce it, the horse thing? Where do, where do dressage judges get off criticizing horses dancing like they aren't dancing goddamn horses? <laughs> See, I understand the anger behind that email, and I get it. I agree with him. Where do they get off exactly? I, I think that is my answer, by the way. I agree with you, man. I agree with that anger. Okay, all right. So here's what I want to say today. So I like to make distinctions, as you guys know. And one of the distinctions I want to make is I always, I really, you know, as a writer, I like to, uh, I love words, right? I'm a wordsmith. And I've always said that people, most people rarely say what they mean, but they always mean what they say. That's how most people communicate, right? Like, the words are rarely chosen carefully, but they usually mean what they say. There are some people who say what they mean, but don't mean what they say, right? Lawyers, politicians, right? Words are chosen very carefully, but, you know, it takes a, a linguist to understand the meaning of what they're saying. It's very rare that people actually say what they mean and mean what they say, right? In fact, when politicians do it, it's called a gaffe because they're actually telling the truth, right? <laughs> when they tell the truth, it's called a gaffe, right? Okay, so the tangerine Idi Amin, uh, Trump, he doesn't, he never says what he means, and he never even means what he says. 
it is the most confounding thing ever. Like, good luck figuring out his words, and then you need a translator to figure out the thing that he didn't even say, right? That's the conundrum room. But once in a while, and it's so refreshing, once in a while a politician will come along and they will actually say what they mean and they mean what they say. And this week it's John McCain. And I just wanted to read you a little what John McCain said because we have this health care uh, thing coming up which the, the Republicans are trying to, to sneak by everybody. And John McCain, it makes me so happy when he makes Trump mad. I just can't get enough of that. I really can't get enough of that. When he makes the Republicans mad, my life is just so complete. It answers the whole dressage question. <laughs> it really does. So I just want to read a little bit of it because these words are so good, you guys. It's so good. And this is just a summary of it. But he says, I cannot in good conscience vote for the Graham-Cassidy proposal. I believe we could do better working together, Republicans and Democrats, and have not yet really tried. Nor could I support it without knowing how much it will cost, how it will affect insurance premiums, and how many people will be helped or hurt by it. Without a full CBO score, which won't be available by the end of the month, we won't have reliable answers to any of those questions. I take no pleasure in announcing my opposition, far from it. The bill's authors are my dear friends, and I think the world of them. I know they're acting consistently with their beliefs and sense of what is best for the country. So am I. And I hope that in the months ahead, we can join with colleagues on both sides of the aisle to arrive at a compromise solution that is acceptable to most of us and serves the interests of Americans as best we can. Now, I may not agree with where Senator McCain may ultimately come down on this issue, but I sure as hell agree with this sentiment right here. He's keeping it 100, you guys. And God bless him for doing that. We need that kind of, of talk on the Hill right now. So how about, I want to give a shout out to keeping it 100 for John McCain right there. Yeah. For saying what he means, meaning what he's saying. All right. Uh, we're going to um, start a conversation with uh, Cecile Richards, but first I have to do this little commercial. Okay. Now I would like to introduce uh, someone I'm very excited to talk to. Been a fan of this person and her tireless work for a long time. Um, the president of Planned Parenthood, Cecile Richards, everybody. Thank you, Larry. <clears throat> Absolutely. Welcome to Black on the Air, Cecile. I'm so happy you're here. I'm honored to be a guest. Yes. And uh, we were uh, hanging out in the, in the green room right there. You made me show you a magic trick. It was great. Card trick. Yeah. It was nice. I hope yeah. it was just the beginning. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Let's make magic in front of these people exactly. right now. Exactly. Now, you're back home now. You're from Texas. I am right? back home. Yeah, yeah, those are all my relatives in the audience. Are you relatives? Just here? Cheering. Yeah, really? exactly. No. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's nice to be back in Austin. Yeah. All my friends. And you're, uh, you're, is your, were your parents actually from Texas? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Waco, in fact. From uh-huh. Waco. Yeah. We- you're it's kidding. always You're great Waco? to have a Waco crowd in the audience. That's here. good. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I was born in Waco, in fact. You were born in Waco. Yeah. And your parents were very politically active even when you were very young, right? They were. Yeah, they moved to Dallas. My dad was a civil rights lawyer. And your dad was a civil rights lawyer in Texas. He still Texas. is yeah. in Austin, Texas. He still is. How are I know. you? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, how are you that woke in Texas in the 50s? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a small but mighty bunch. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it was, yeah, yeah, Dallas was a really conservative city at the time. Sure. And, and, you know, probably in some ways has some vestiges of that. But, yeah, I know my folks were into the farm workers movement and the mm-hmm. women's movement. Every movement that came through town, right. they were into. Yeah. And your mom, both parents were in it, and uh, they kind of worked together in it? Well, my mom was, like, she was raising four of us, so she didn't uh, have the opportunity till later, but she got her revenge. uh, Later ran for office. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think a lot of families. You know, the dinner table wasn't where we ate. It's where we sorted precinct lists for whatever campaign oh, really? they were working on. Oh, and man. that was just like what we did. It was, it was great. It was, it was a great, I was, had a really wonderful childhood. It was kind of the family business. It thing. was the family business. Uh-huh. Yeah, handing out, you know, putting up yard signs, yeah. taking down your opponent's yard signs. Those are kind of <laughs> critical skills. Did you, did you learn early age? Early parents? age. No, I'm just, of course we never did that. But anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. No. Uh, and how old were you when you first became aware that this was something that you wanted to do or that that was part of what you were doing rather than you're just doing stuff with your parents? Just, just to do it. Sure. Yeah, to do the. Well, uh, funny you should ask. So I yeah. we moved to Austin. Mm-hmm. I think my folks that was in the middle of the anti-war movement. And so my folks came down here and 
Austin was a much more hospitable place for their you know, kind of political leanings. In fact, uh-huh. that was the Armadillo World Headquarters had opened and mm-hmm. people were marching and tie-dyeing and right. doing all kinds of stuff yeah. that wasn't happening in Dallas. Um, anyway, I was in seventh grade and there was the moratorium against the Vietnam War. And sure. one of the ways you could show your opposition to the war was to wear a black armband. Uh-huh. And so I, I carefully cut out a black armband and wore it to my, my, my school and got called to the principal's office. Really? And that was incredible, right? I mean, I never yeah. even met the principal. And here was time, you know, <laughs> calls me up right. and, you know, wants to know if my parents know that I am wearing a black armband. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure they do. Uh, <laughs> and um, the great news, I mean, actually, he tried to call my mom. And the mm-hmm. best news for Tom Heston is that she wasn't home when he tried to reach her. Um, I can only that imagine great. that conversation, what it would have been. Imagine. So yeah. anyway, that was, and I was kind of like, this was great. And then I just got involved in everything, um, everything I could. And, yeah. and college was really involved in mm-hmm. the effort to uh, end apartheid in South Africa, other things that sure. just sort of became uh, right. second nature. And then I found you could get a job doing this. Yeah. That was great. That is something that I know a lot of young people kind of wrestle with when they're coming out of school. You know, yeah. how do I make money and also have something I believe in? Or, you know, do I have to make a, that Sophie's choice with that? Or should I just follow my passion? You right. know, was that a thing that you thought about at the time? Was it, was it important for you to make a think about making a living or making a life well larry i mean i was really really privileged i had a i had Mm -hmm. a college degree i um Mm -hmm. didn't have any responsibilities and so i became a union organizer right out of school Mm -hmm. went to the rio grande border um and started working uh, with garment workers um women who were making minimum wage and for me it was just i just kept finding a job Mm -hmm. so i think it is hard and i see boy we see now at planned parenthood like thousands of young people who are trying to figure out yeah. how they can actually build a life where they're essentially full-time organizers or yeah. Um, activists. Yeah, it's a, and that garment workers union, I feel like that issue has been at the forefront of most large movements. I mean, if you look at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, yeah. I mean, in New York, it really was the beginning of a lot of progressive legislation at that time. That's right. Because and, of that tragedy. And, and, you know, if I could just point out, it was women who were in the yeah. lead of it, you know, and Absolutely. Uh, continue to be. Right. No, it's true, yeah. All right. Yeah. And, then, and then men got credit for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was just really interesting. I mean, I think I've seen it throughout my life. I mean, I had the, the you know, real pleasure and honor of working with low-wage working women mm-hmm. my entire lifetime, nursing home workers, hotel workers, yeah. you know, janitors, women who are basically doing everything they can just to support their families sure. and get ahead. And they're always at the forefront, and women of color in particular, yeah. always at the forefront of these struggles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's just the truth. Yeah. And then you kind of transition into the, you helped your mom in her election. I tried to. Yeah. I tried not to be, <laughs> not to be a detriment to her. That, you must have been elected. very proud during that time, though. I mean, your oh, mom yeah. became governor of Texas, Can you for believe Christ's that? Sake. I yeah. know. Looking back, I know. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, it was, and, and also because, you know, she was, she was like, everyone goes, uh, well, God, it must have been incredible to grow up with Ann Richards as your mom. It's like, I know, but she was like my mom. It <laughs> right. wasn't like... And it wasn't until really all of us were grown that mm-hmm. she ran for office. Was she a taskmaster master growing up at all? or Maybe, yeah, you a could maybe bit? say that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She had an amazing sense of humor. That was one thing. She did. She was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the way she said, George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. It was, I, I find it interesting because she was kind of at a transition time, it seemed like, because there was that old Dixie Democratic Party. Yeah. yeah. And there was a more kind of moderate Republican Party, and they kind of switched identities a little bit. And your mom was in that transition. I mean, she was able to be a progressive Democrat in a, you know, in a southern state, which is kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah. I mean, that was, the th- I think, and she was a progressive governor. Um, yeah. And even when she got beat uh, in her reelection, folks still liked her. Mm-hmm. They just thought she was too progressive. <laughs> too progressive. What does that mean, too progressive exactly. in Texas? Exactly. I don't know. In Texas, that means know. wearing a black armband, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's just, it was, anyway, and it's incredible to look at Texas now. Obviously, welcome, here you are. It's yeah. become unrecognizable to some of us who are lifelong Texans. Backwards or forwards? Backwards. Mm-hmm. Way backwards. Backwards? Way backwards, yeah. What do you think is the reason for that? 
Well, I mean, even, I think when, you know, when mom got beat, that was sort of the first year in Texas that the really far right wing mm-hmm. got, and the Christian coalition really got very involved in mm-hmm. politics and they took over the Republican Party mm-hmm. in Texas. I mean, it used to be there were moderate Republicans in Texas. Yeah. And now there are. They're just not in office. And it's mm-hmm. really, again, I think, and they gerrymandered the state so bad that yeah. now, of course, our, our uh, congressional delegation doesn't look anything like the people of Texas. Yeah. And that's really discouraging. So that's why people do have to vote. And they definitely have to vote so that we can change the lines to more rep- you know, represent the people yeah, that uh, live here. It's one of them. It probably is one of the more insidious forms of political, um, I don't know, I can't even find that right word of gameplay, but to, shutting people out by redistricting is amazing to me, how yep. it's been a systematic uh, thing that's happened over the last 20, 25 years, I think, right? Yeah, well, actually, in Texas, it in goes a big way. way further back. Sure. In fact, it's, it, you know, when my dad was first doing a lot of um, litigation in the civil rights uh, arena, part of it was to actually create single-member districts because a lot of counties, including Travis County, everyone was elected countywide. And mm-hmm. so people of color could never get elected to the state legislature. And, yeah. uh, it, it, so, and they had to go county by county to change the rules. So, in fact there was the opportunity to finally diversify the state legislature. So this has been a long-haul effort to keep people from being uh, having representative government. And then, of course, the other thing is just crushing about Texas is we have one of the lowest voter turnout rates in, this, in the country, mm-hmm. and yet the, this, this governor, this legislature, does everything they can to keep people from going to vote. And that's another thing that we have to stop, mm-hmm. uh, these efforts to disenfranchise folks from even just going to the polls. Yeah. And um, and for a while you worked in Nancy Pelosi's office. Were you her deputy? For a hot second, yeah. How I long was, was uh, that? I was uh-uh. on. The, I worked on the Hill for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And even though I, it was awesome to work for her, and I had this job where I really got to do a lot of interesting things. Right. I just found that me and Capitol Hill were not really was it tough, made to be together. Was it tough seeing how the sausage was made? It's, it's, uh, it's so, it's yeah, so awful. Made you not want sausage, right? <laughs> right. Well, it's just also, uh, I mean, the Democrats were in the minority. We couldn't win anything. Yeah. And I just felt like I wanted to be out on the outside again, organizing and mm-hmm. agitating and getting folks active and changing, you know, changing who was in office. So... That's what I did. But I still have a lot of friends on the Hill, and I have enormous respect for people who mm-hmm. serve in public office and who do this work, especially women who are on Capitol Hill. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tough place to be. Sure it is, absolutely. What, what was it that brought you to Planned Parenthood? Was it, uh, did you see that as an opportunity? There was did, a job. Did, yes. <laughs> <It was really laughs> Were, did they reach out to you, or did you go there? They How did. did. That no, I was... Um, they called me one day, and I had a, I was working for a nonprofit, and mm-hmm. you know I almost didn't even go to the interview. Really? Well, yeah, because I was like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. Uh-huh. I've never run anything that big, and yeah. boy, this is a big organization. But I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, it's kind of an incredible. There's very few organizations like Planned Parenthood that literally not only has been around a hundred years, yeah. long before even birth control was legal but has literally changed the lives and does every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, to have an organization that's not only on the front lines, I hope, of fighting for, to advance opportunities for women and all people, but also right. literally opens the doors of clinics every day and serves folks uh, with health care. Mm-hmm. It's pretty phenomenal. No, it really is. Yeah. Well, what do you think, um, yes, clap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good thing about having a live audience. Um, I feel like Planned Parenthood is one of those things that is widely misunderstood and, and of course, widely mischaracterized for political reasons. What do you think is the most misunderstood part of Planned Parenthood or misunderstood aspect of it? Well, I actually think that for most women, they do understand Planned Parenthood. So I'm just going to say that right now. Most of the people who actually mischaracterize Planned Parenthood have never had to worry about being pregnant <laughs> yes. or worry about uh, you know having breast cancer or needed a pap smear. So mm-hmm. I think we have to distinguish between... Um, so I guess maybe if I was going to say one of the most misunderstood things is that literally one in five women in this country have been to Planned Parenthood. We provide health care to everybody. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it's funny. One of my favorite um, 
things that I try to explain sometimes when I'm trying to spend to male politicians about why all this matters. Yeah. And not that it's ever been successful, but uh, the, uh, <laughs> or on a rare occasion. But so the average woman in this country mm-hmm. who wants to have kids spends five years getting pregnant and mm-hmm. having children and an average of 30 years trying not to get pregnant. Okay, that's what we do at Planned Parenthood. Is yeah. We help for those 30 years, which right. is a lot of time yeah. for women. Um, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, it is interesting because, uh, like, I, I love seeing how people try to attack things. And Planned Parenthood gets attacked from so many different ways. Yeah. One way they attack it is saying, well, you know, Planned Parenthood was founded as, uh, the person who founded it was into eugenics and that sort of thing. I think they take Margaret Sanger. Yeah, the, they love to talk about Margaret Sanger. Yeah. Uh, like, that never impresses me as a black person to know that something in America was racist at one point. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, what, what institution doesn't have a racist expiration date, you know? It's like, whatever time that was is something. But uh, how do you feel about the critique of that? How do you guys handle those types of, yeah. of, of critiques? Like, do you... Do you, is it very difficult to keep putting out positive information about it, or what do you do? No, I mean, I think, look, I think, and your point is exactly right, which is there is not a 100-year-old institution in this country that doesn't right. have, like, parts of it, their history that they feel like are, and, we're wrong, we're wrong th- right. then and are wrong today. Including and, the 250-year institution called <laughs> America. <laughs> hey, fair point, fair point. <laughs> No, and actually, I feel like that's one of the things that is, is incredibly important to us, is not only mm-hmm. to understand our, our history so that yeah. we can always do better, but to me, I would say the biggest challenge that we face as an institution right now in the healthcare system is that the inequity of access to care I, just continues to, um, continues to go forward. And mm-hmm. so if you're a woman of low income in this country, if you're a woman of color in this country, yeah. uh, you are so much less likely to have access to just basic health care, right. um, not just reproductive health care. And so that, to me, is the work that we have to continue to do, is to focus our mission on folks who need care the very most and who are being left behind by the, by the health care system in America. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel that... Um I hate the fact that it's a partisan fight, too. It's crazy. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, you think women come into Planned Parenthood to make a political statement? Right, I know. No, they're just like coming because they need affordable health care. Yeah. It is interesting to me because we were talking about how the parties have changed. Uh, Republicans kind of used to be the party of family planning in some ways, you know. Right. And I think it was Roe v. Wade that kind of changed things, you know. Um, where parties, like I always think, I, I, you know, guys, I, you know, I always try to cut to, like, here's what's interesting about it. Here's how mixed up people are, I feel, about the whole issue of abortion. I feel the, the pro-choice position is actually a very conservative position, and the pro-life position actually is a very progressive, liberal position. People just don't know it. They don't know what positions they're holding. And so there's a lot of confusion around it. And I'll tell you why, because if you're for the, the, a woman's ability to have liberty about her body, like, if you say government, leave that woman alone. She can make her own choices. That's actually a very conservative position. You know, if you say, well, we want to protect some uh, uh, being that can't be protected, we want the government to step in. It's actually a very liberal position. But if you told someone they're liberal, they would say, no, I'm not. That's why I think politics should be taken out of this issue. You I know? think that's a good idea. Even the way that we talk yeah. about it. Like, I feel we should just call it women's reproductive rights, mm-hmm. you know, and say you're either for that or against it, you know, of yeah. how we use language, you know. Yeah. No, and I, and I love that you love language because I do think it, it matters. And it's interesting because, I mean, I, I just believe this whole sort of pro-life, pro-choice. Yeah, people nomenclature, take positions in those words. It doesn't words. even actually, right. when, when you can talk to people in America, they, they literally do not even, they don't relate to those words at all because obviously these are much more personal and intimate decisions. And I agree yeah. with you, in fact, I mean, and that's really where the American people are, mm-hmm. which is they believe that when it comes to pregnancy, women should be able to make decisions about their pregnancy with whoever they want to consult. Right. Their doctor, their partner, their mother, I, whoever, but the last people that should be making decisions about the most personal issue for a woman, her pregnancy, the last people that should be making that decision are politicians. Yeah. That's just like universally held. Definitely. Um, um, but can I... Yeah. Do you, are you uh, afraid that Roe v. Wade could be overturned in this administration? It absolutely could be. Mm-hmm. It absolutely could be. I mean, this is a president who has said he will only appoint 
justices uh, to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. who oppose abortion rights. And, and look, we have, um, you know, we're holding the, the court by one vote probably right now. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, it's a huge risk. Uh, but it's also a huge risk below the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. He's filling vacancies on, in the judiciary right and left, and or mainly right. And uh, <laughs> these, are gonna, these, are, these are folks who are going to be judges for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that, that is, that's really concerning. Because I think we think about, you know, we can do the day-to-day, -day, like what are the dangers of, of um, what do you call them, tangerine? Uh, uh, the tangerine Edie, I mean. Yeah. So yeah. I think that we can... There's the apricot Adolf, if you like that better. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've got to read up on this. Okay. <laughs> but I do think it's, it's some of these things, these are, mm -hmm. half-life is going to be much, much longer than the, the Trump administration in terms of the mm -hmm. impact on basic human rights, um, and not just, not just on women's rights. How dangerous is it for, like, this... If this current healthcare legislation went through, how dangerous is it for it to be back in the states or the hands of the states? Some of these decisions. I'm so glad you asked because mm -hmm. I know that. And, and thanks for opening sure. uh, with Senator John McCain. Mm -hmm. Although, can I just say mm -hmm. that it's really two Republican women senators who have kept this bill. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Good. I like to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's. Um, it's. I mean, it's wonderful to have Senator McCain come in, and I'm really grateful. But you know, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins have right. just done. I mean, they have been like just, you know, put their bodies in front of the steamroller on this bill for the last several months. Yeah. And and look, there's so many bad things about this bill, and one of the things I think is really important uh, is that it is not over. Okay, mm -hmm. it is not over. Even though this is good news, uh, everyone needs to call their senator. And yeah. thank God for Jimmy Kimmel telling everybody every yes. night and put the putting the phone number up on the air because yeah. everyone needs to call their senator and tell them that they cannot pass this bill. Uh, and one of the things that is important to me is that understand it's not only that it would not allow women to come to Planned Parenthood anymore that mm -hmm. are on Medicaid and that's the vast majority of our patients. It would basically end some of the most fundamental. Uh, health care rights that women have. Like, we fought under the Affordable Care Act to get maternity benefits for women. Okay, mm -hmm. you would think, actually, everyone's for maternity benefits, right? But the Senate didn't want to put it in because, as one of the senators said, he was never going to need them. Which seemed like, how Man. obvious, I'm t I just, like, can I, how obvious is that? But I yeah. loved it because Senator Debbie right. Stabenow said, yeah, she yeah. said back to him, she said, well, I bet your mother did. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so, um, but... But that's the kind of things at risk is literally millions of women who now have maternity benefits that would lose them under this bill. Yeah. That's just unconscionable. Yeah, I, it, I can't believe how snotty people are about it, too. You know? <laughs> it really is insane, you know. Mm -hmm. um, why is it, uh, it feels like a lot of people don't know how much the Affordable Care Act actually, how much it did in this area, right? Right, yeah. until, although I, I will say, as you, and I know you've been following this, mm -hmm. the outpouring of activism and calls yeah. going into Congress and people showing up at town hall meetings and taking on their members of the United States Senate has been unparalleled. Uh, I mm -hmm. mean, the, the, the resistance is live out there in America. And mm -hmm. if it were not for all that activism, this thing would have been passed by January 27th and would already yeah. be in effect. So I actually think people are really aware that they risk losing their benefits. I think, you know, the last bill had mm -hmm. about, I don't know, 12% support in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, so it's really, that's the most important thing is that people are actually speaking up and speaking out and jamming the phone lines of people in Congress. Do you, do you have a sense of where Trump actually does stand in any of this? Because on, no. on this issue, he actually is very confusing, I think, to everybody, including himself. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely which, confused. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, even though he is a narcissistic sociopath, I know that most of the... <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, most of the... I, I think Trump's ideology is Trump. You know, Donald Trump. Yeah. You know? And uh, sometimes it feels like he wants to just please people in some ways. I mean, there are some issues that I think he thinks he feels strongly about, but I think he really doesn't. I think he's just an asshole and just... <laughs> no, it's true, guys. It really is true. Well, you know, more than an ideologue. You know. Well, it's very clear that he has never read a single piece of legislation exactly. that we're That's trying exactly to actually right. deal yeah. with, and nor have, frankly, many members of Congress. So I don't think he's alone That's in true. that. Right. But no, you haven't. I mean, it is, it is stunning to me. Again, we talk about this partisan divide, but it is stunning to me that only two or three United States senators would actually, on the Republican side, would actually stand up and speak out 
against a bill that literally millions of people in this country, this is not, this is not a controversial, this is a fact, mm-hmm. millions of people would lose their health care coverage. How could we have the Republican Party literally seeming to have no backbone at all on this issue? I, th- that to me is, it's amazing that's more stunning me. than Donald Trump not, not well, I still feel a lot of it just goes back to the hatred of Obama, I mean, which started from the beginning. I mean, the fact that they named it Obamacare as a means to discredit it, not as a means, of course, to give him credit, but as a means to discredit it. And the fact that they, they can't support anything about it because they know their supporters won't support them if they're for something called Obamacare. It makes my head explode, Cecilia. It makes my head explode. So yes. imagine, I mean, we, we've gone door-to-door, you know, uh, to get the bill passed, either to get people yeah. enrolled, all this from Planned Parenthood all over across the country. And the, the thing that will also make your head explode but not surprise you is the number of doors you'll knock on that say, like, I hate Obamacare, but yeah. what about that Affordable yes. Care Act? That sounds great. And, yes, uh, exactly. And so Ooh, I, do I think, like that. Yeah, what is that? that. Yeah. It's affordable and it's health care. Oh, so I like I, those words. Those right. words are good. So I do, and I do think, again, as, if we talk about literally what it did, um, I mean, one of the things I can just brag for one yes, half brag, second, and then brag, I know you better brag, do, brag. do a, a, a commercial. But yeah. uh, one of the things that we had to fight for was uh, coverage for birth uh, for women for birth control, yeah. which you would again you think that's kind of a no brainer. Every you know everyone uses it's it. It's crazy. Yeah. We got actually now because of the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. also Obamacare. Yeah. 57 million women in this country have access to birth control at no cost under their insurance plans. That's and great. that's like, that's, that's big. Yeah. That's big. And so those are the kinds, of, I mean, those are the kinds of things which are not partisan. And people go, yeah. you mean I'm going to lose that? And that's an economic issue for every woman in America. Yes, once people know the things that are actually going to happen, they're magically for it, you know. But if it's called black man care, you know, no. <laughs> I can't support that. All right, anyhow, let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll be right back with Cecil Richards. You had a chance to talk to the first daughter, um, Ivanka, right? You, did you talk to her? Or? I did, I did. Yeah, when was but, that? But she's not just the first daughter. She's the highest-ranking yeah. woman in the White House, all yeah. right? I mean, she has a job. She's a federal employee. Right. In addition to being the first daughter. Yeah, in a weird Well, weird I just think it's important because I feel like that's... Uh, I mean, I talked to her back in, I guess it was back in January, mm-hmm. before she was a, before she worked in the administration. Right. Is she technically working? Because they take a lot of vacations. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain what, I mean, if she's in charge of advancing uh-huh. opportunities for women, I don't know what she's doing. What was your conversation with her about? She wanted to uh, explore, I guess she knew that Planned Parenthood was going to be an issue, and she wanted to explore um, what might be possible, I guess, I'm going to try to like not infer too much, uh, to ensure that Planned Parenthood, basically we could kind of take this issue off the table with the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that her, her father had said some nice things about Planned Parenthood <laughs> like during, what? The, during the campaign. Uh-huh. It's, but I mean, back to your point about kind of being confused. I mean, he said he said yeah. that he knew that you know he knew thousands of women who had been helped by Planned Parenthood and what a uh-huh. great organization, you know, what great care we provided. And I said, well, I know I heard him say that, um, and then I also heard him say, but he's going to completely defund us and not allow us to see patients anymore. So it right. sort of it sort of undercut that that praise. And did she give an indication that she was going to be an ally? N- I wouldn't say that. I think it was more an information gathering. But I, uh-huh. I, you know, I, the the administration was floating this idea that if Planned Parenthood would quit providing abortion services to women, that perhaps we could be the beneficiary of a lot of a lot more money. And I said to her, "It was that like was, extortion." Well, I just said that was never going to happen, and uh-huh. that women relied on us for all kinds of health care, including abortion services, and we were never going to turn our back on them and the need that they had. Right. Right. And, and can you t- just dispel the myth about federal fundings 
funding abortions through Planned Parenthood. Can yeah. you explain sure. that clearly sure. for people? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, and also just yeah. even the whole word defunding is sort of yes. misleading. So I know, as my friend Dawn says, it's not like we get like a publisher's clearinghouse <laughs> check every year uh, <laughs> and just go spend it. We Here's your abortion <laughs> card. There you go. So Planned Parenthood, we work just like every other hospital or healthcare provider that mm-hmm. sees um, patients uh, and on, through public programs. We get reimbursed for services, and those include breast cancer screenings, mm-hmm. uh, cervical cancer screenings, birth control, STI testing and treatment, mm-hmm. and basic well woman care. And for a lot of women, we're their only doctor. We just are their, their, um, their provider. That's what's reimbursed through the federal government. Abortion is not paid for by federal dollars because mm-hmm. of the Hyde Amendment that, that's been around now for decades. We completely disagree with that. We believe that low-income women should have the same opportunity to have abortion services as anyone else. Right. But that's, um, unfortunately, that's the law, and we certainly abide by it. So that's the irony, is that this bill actually singles out not by name, but there's only one organization that uh, fits the description of who gets singled out to say folks on Medicaid can no longer go to um, Planned Par- basically to Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. for any of the pre- preventive services that we provide. Uh, and so, as you could imagine, uh, if, you, if fewer women have access to family planning, which they will if this passes, then fewer women, uh, then many more women will have unintended pregnancies. That's just a fact. Yeah. And the thing that is really just kind of, you know, you said your head explodes. This is the thing that makes my head explode. We now have, as I said, millions of women have birth control access that they've never had before. Mm-hmm. We are now at the actually the lowest rate of teenage pregnancy in the United States of America in history, yeah. right? So that's actually... A good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're also at a 30-year low for women overall, and we're at the lowest rate of abortion since Roe versus Wade was passed. So these, all these things are, you'd say, okay, this seems like it's progress for women, getting yeah. more preventive care. But everything the Trump administration is proposing and this Congress is proposing would basically erase all of that progress, and that's why we're fighting so hard. Yes. And I don't understand why people don't make that connection. Like, why do you think we're at a low? You know, because right. there's more people didn't quit because having, there are more right. services, because people can make better choices. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, and that's actually, I mean, I know you're interested in, like, you're nerdy and all that, but, I mean, so I'll just give you... <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I know you are. No, that's all right. <laughs> it's, I think it's cool. It's called, uh, it's called blurdy. Te- uh, <laughs> blurdy? Technically, yeah. Blurdy, okay. Yeah. If you're so, a black nerd, you're basically a blurred. Yeah. Well, so one mm-hmm. of the other things mm-hmm. that to me is exciting is actually... Since you're nerdy, we could just... Is <laughs> yes, that that's all right. Birth control isn't just birth control pills. I think mm-hmm. some guys in Congress, they're like, oh, they can just go to the, they can just go to the grocery store and get those, as if somehow they're just like on the, on the shelf with the <laughs> Tic Tacs. It's, right. yeah. it's right next to um, the Claritin, exactly, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, or the Zyrtec, whatever. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's, yeah. Not, yeah, so that's mm-hmm. not how it works. But the, the mm-hmm. great thing is, actually, we've been able to keep expanding the kinds of birth control, that, so it's actually better, and there's a lot of methods that are better than birth yeah. control pills. In fact, we just finished some clinical trials on uh, a self-injectable um, birth control that lasts for three months. So wow. can you imagine, at least for women, you imagine going to um, a, a clinic and be able to get a year's supply of birth control that is incredibly effective and mm-hmm. going home? And that, that's what we're really trying to do is just expand the opportunity for all folks to have yeah. access to not just some kind of birth control, but the best kind of birth control. Yeah, as a comedian, I'm just imagining you're about to have sex and she's tying off that arm. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> I gotta find a good vein. Hold on. <laughs> what are you doing for Christ's sake? It's very sexy. Yeah. It's very sexy. Yeah. 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 The guy's like, "Hey, you got any more of that?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, what What are your? Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. I've got to get laughs and something. Uh, what are some of your uh, prognostications? What do you think is going to happen? In the world? Yeah. With with. <laughs> Well, with this situation, do you think it's gonna, the tide is going to turn against yeah. this? Is that what you think? Well, so first of all, I mean, just in the very immediate, mm-hmm. I think we are, last week I would have said this bill is going to pass, and uh-huh. we are going to have to now, it's going to be so tough. I actually think now we're on the verge of possibly defeating this round of Trump care, and yeah. that is very exciting. Um, but that's, 
look, that's a temporary win because it is temporary, and yeah. that that that's, makes me afraid the most. You no, know, some right. of these temporary wins. You no, know? it's right. I mean, but yeah. you, but look, the way I look at it, and people say that, like, how do you, you know, you get up every day, and how do you just keep going? Like every single day that Planned Parenthood's doors stay open, approximately eight thousand one hundred and eighteen people get health care, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what keeps me going. Yeah. So, um, I think in the long haul, look, I. I'm sure that some you probably even know this, but uh, the day after the inauguration, the women's marches, the largest march, I believe, in the history of, of Texas was right here in Austin. That's great. Okay? That was, yeah. like, huge. Um, and, um, some of these people were probably at I it. I think, yeah. yeah. You there? Good for you, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think these folks read about it, too. Yeah. So, uh, but we have seen, and I've been an organizer my whole life, so I feel mm-hmm. like I've seen, you know, the ups and downs. I have never seen the level of activism among yeah. everybody, mm-hmm. but including a whole generation of young people who right. are hot and bothered and they're really busy. Yeah. And so to me, they may have the reins of power per se in the sense of mm-hmm. the Republicans control Congress right now and they, they control the White House, but they do not control the people of America. That's and right. That's what I am seeing. It's just, yeah. you know. What is... Um have you been encouraged by millennial involvement in young people? I feel like young people are so interested in, in being active right now. It's very exciting. You it's, know, How does it feel in this issue? Oh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And not just millennials. Like, so, you know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm lumping a whole, like, whole lot of people. Anybody like younger yeah. than us? Okay, exactly. so, yeah, those young folk. I mean that millennial <laughs> yeah. that happened after me. Yeah. Yeah. Young folk. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to give you an example. Of, okay. So I... Um, we, we've been doing a lot of town hall meetings and folks all over the country have just been flooding these town hall meetings. And finally, they had one in Arizona that Jeff Flake had. He didn't want to have one, but finally, I think he just had to. And uh, so hundreds of people showed up, um, including a lot of Planned Parenthood folks and patients. And there's a 16-year-old woman, uh, Deja Fox. So 16, I don't know what you were doing at 16, but I, was, I would never had this sort of presence. Yeah. She literally went up to the microphone and said to, said to her, this United States senator, you are a man of privilege. Mm. You have every opportunity. I am a young woman. I'm on my own. I rely on Planned Parenthood for my birth control so that I can finish high school. So why are you trying to take away my ability to achieve the American dream? Yeah. It was like, God bless boom. you, man. No, yeah. it was amazing. Wow. And that's what I'm seeing is this... There's kind of a fearlessness, right? A total fearlessness. Yeah. And... Um, that to me is okay. If she's doing that at sixteen. She can be president of the United States. Yes, you know, I mean, it's just like so. it's really. But that's yeah. that's what we're seeing everywhere. Is I think young people who really are just speaking truth to power in ways that we we need to see. That's great because it seems like some of it, you know, and I know we get people make fun when you say things like that, but it feels like a lot of this is rooted in male privilege in society. You, you know, think? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Wow. No. Well, that I hadn't thought of that. It takes so much. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, hold on a second. What just happened? (laughs) But I'm just shocked at how much convincing it takes for obvious things, you know, and all the the amount of like, just think of all the commercials for Viagra that are on television, you know. Oh, yeah, we noticed them. It's ridiculous, you know, during games and everything. And it's like, well, what do you think happens as a result of all those erections, you know? (laughs) You're going to need Planned Parenthood, for Christ's sakes, you know. I know it's a joke that you're making, but this is actually... Yeah, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but it's it's actually kind of interesting. I really don't believe we would have gotten... We would have made the progress we've made on getting birth control covered... Mm if it weren't for Viagra, because it was so... Really? Well, because mm-hmm. Viagra immediately got covered by insurance plans. Yes, it's like, what do you mean? amazing, Like, yeah. you know, we're going to cover Viagra, and yet women are still out there trying to, like, put their money together to right. get their birth control pills. So yeah. I have to, in a weird way... I don't want to... I was going to say... No, that's I got to right. kind of thank Viagra for that yeah. part. So. Thank you, Viagra. Yeah. <laughs> now, we covered a lot of this kind of stuff in the nightly show, you know, just some of the the traps in the system where women are ignored for some of these things, even right. things like tampons, you know. Exactly. We had like a Tampon Tuesday, in fact, <laughs> we talked about some of this. Uh, I know you've talked about also how it really, really important it is to have women in representation. Mm-hmm. Um, do, 
is that getting better, staying the same, getting worse? I know we, there was a major election that was just lost. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's getting a little bit better, mm-hmm. but not, not near enough. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I mean, it has been, again, I don't think it's by um, accident that the two Republicans who really have kept this uh, health care repeal from passing have been women. I think that's, you know, so right. the more women, I'm just, and women aren't perfect, right? They're, and women, and women will take different sides also. Yeah, but they do, still but it's that, just, yeah. it, it, I mean, it, again, and it's not just women. Mm-hmm. We need more people of color in office as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's just going to happen because we I'm have a gender. I'm glad you said that. Don't you think? Yeah. No, it's just crazy. I didn't want to have to say it again. No, it's completely crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you look at this administration and their mm-hmm. appointments. Yeah. No women, no people of color. Right. I mean, we're talking about... I mean, you talk like, about snowflakes. I mean, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a snowstorm, for Christ's sakes, when you look at that. Right. right. No, I mean, mm-hmm. it's... But I do, you know, in fact, when we think back about the eight years with President Obama, and mm-hmm. I think so many amazing things did happen, but one of the things I think gets underreported is the fact that we now have three women on the Supreme Court of the yes. United States. And no, that, that amazing, is like, yeah. that, right. you know, yeah, let's give it up for these women. They are, I mean, it's good. Yeah. We had a, um, there was a there was a really important case from Texas that went up, um, the whole women's health case that was about all the restrictions they had put on abortion providers here in Texas. And I, I was honored to get to be in the courtroom during that argument. And the fact that we had three women on the court was, mm-hmm. was everything. Yeah. And the fact that they actually talked about women's lived experience in the Supreme Court and on, in that argument, uh, well, and we won that case. Yeah. And that was a large part of it. So. And even seeing Wendy Davis with her filibuster here like mm-hmm. those few years ago. A lot of us were there, too. Yeah. A lot of the folks in this room. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Actually, can I tell you a funny yes. thing? Because I, I know you like please. kind of funny. So, I, I mean, there were so many incredible moments during the Wendy's filibuster. And, uh-huh. um, but <laughs> at, at one point, uh, the, there, was a, there was a rumor. There were all, I mean, the, the Capitol was packed with people, right? Mm-hmm. You just literally couldn't fit any more people in. And the uh, Department of Public Safety, um, or the folks that were, they monitor the security. Now, you could bring a gun into the Capitol, right? <laughs> but you couldn't bring tampons back to your tampon they literally you're kidding me okay just hold it hold on to this they were you're making they were, this up they were conf i have a photo right. they were confiscating women's tampons because they there was a rumor that women were going to go up to the senate gallery and hurl their tampons and their sanitary napkins onto the floor of the senate <laughs> and they're like oh exactly <laughs> what is that devil thing that's right here? and when mm-hmm. senator kirk watson said but aren't those those soft fluffy things right that's how crazy it is here in the state of Texas sometimes. What you just said is unbelievable. It's true. Yes. True fact. Um, Am I right? That's right. That's amazing. Uh, guys, I'd love to take... Do you want to take a couple of questions yeah, sure. from there? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let me do a, just one more quick commercial. I think I, I have to do this Uber. one quick one. All right. Uh, we have time for two questions, maybe? Oh, we have five minutes. Okay. Let's take a couple of questions. Okay, sure. For Cecile Richards here. What do we got? Uh, right here we have some. Oh, we have someone over here? Yes, go for it. Oh, no. Do you have something to say? Yes. Oh, but oh, you just hijacked the question, right? Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Okay, so my name's Ezra Morales. I actually go to the Ann Richards School, as well as three folks right Great. here. We have some folks in the back. Great. Welcome. Yeah, and, you know, um, we're kind of setting a precedent, um, I see, as the junior class and the senior class, uh-huh. as being able to come out to our peers and to our teachers as trans, and so sure. we were wondering how you can um, help us set that president a little further. And also, how are you doing that in your own organization and Planned Parenthood? Because I know a lot of trans women of color mm-hmm. and just trans people in general oh. seek Planned Parenthood as sure. one of their places. Great. Thank you. It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I'll answer your question, but I also just want to brag on the Ann Richards School, which is one of the most amazing yeah. public schools here in Austin, and so very exciting. Um, so thanks for your question, and I'd say at Planned Parenthood, one of the, I mean, one of the more exciting things has been actually to begin to expand trans care, uh, in, um, and so in 17 states, we're now providing hormone replacement therapy, and that is going to continue to grow, and it's been really unbelievable. I was just actually in 
in Tennessee, uh, where we provide services in Memphis, and just to, to talk to our patients and to our staff about how meaningful it is to be able to find a place, not only where people um, uh, can get health care, but where they don't have to explain to the doctors what health care they need. And I think mm-hmm. this is what is just so stunning to me, and I've learned a lot from uh, a lot of the trans activists about just how challenging it is to get non-stigmatized sure. care. So right. I think that's a, a really critical work. Uh, and um, go you. Um, yes. You know, uh, thank you. Thanks thank for the you. question. That's and a thanks great for question. Your, yeah, thanks um, for what you're doing. I think we have one more. Oh, so, okay. She's very excited Someone's over here. Up and yes, down. go for it. Hello. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. You guys are great. I'm going to cry. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> my name is Yelisa Chavez. I'm a, a sophomore here at the University of Texas in Austin. Oh, cool. um, so my question to you is about education. Um, I want to work in reforming public education, specifically in the state of Texas. When should we start, at what age, introducing sex education to kids oh. in school? Really? Yeah. Nice question. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, it's. That's I mean, a good age. Thank you for thank you for your question. I mean, so sex education as a parent too. I know that some of these questions are just they just they just start coming when kids are ready to ask. And I think the most important thing is just to be honest and um, not freaked out. And uh, one of the things that I think Planned Parenthood does a good job of is actually working with parents to help them um, with what whatever they need and or be a referral place um, for for young people. One of the things just that I just like to dispel in terms of myths, mm-hmm. there are people in office and politicians who think that somehow if you just don't talk about sex, then young people will never <laughs> figure it out and think about it. And it's really uh, unbelievable. I mean, they just have completely erased that part of their brain that was like, yeah. you know. Um, the, 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 the abstinence te- they're referring to is the abstinence of common sense. Right. Really. Well, yeah. and of course, our former mm. governor, Rick Perry, said that he knew abstinence worked because he had personal experience okay. uh, with that. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. don't even want to. I mean, let's. Yeah. But in any case, the the point I wanted to make. Sorry, I didn't mean to make those just okay. cracks. But no, it, it's black on the air. We can make there these we go. Cracks, okay, yeah. I, I think yeah. the, the actually the really interesting thing about sex education, medically accurate sex education, not shaming sex education, not right. telling kids just not to have sex, sex education, but yeah, I mean, medically accurate sex education that's non-stigmatized actually has shown to help young people, one, a lot of it, it actually, kids delay sexual activity, um, just, that's just the, the evidence, mm-hmm. and they are much more likely to use um, uh, protection, uh, use contraception, uh, delay getting pregnant before they're ready. And that, to me, is what sex education should all be about. And the thing I don't understand is, like, of course we should be talking to kids about sex education, and particularly in schools, because at yeah. some point, they're going to have sex. And maybe and, at school. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Sorry. It's, come on, guys. Anyway. <laughs> it's my job. I have to get some laughs. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's a, critical, I mean, it's a critical thing, and we need a public education system, again, that is right there and that works hand in glove. And it's incredible to me. Unfortunately, in so many areas, Planned Parenthood actually hasn't even been, we're now not allowed to be in the public school system. And I think we are, we are seeing the results here in Texas where one of the highest repeat teen pregnancy rates in the nation, and that's just that's just tough for young people. Mm-hmm. It's tough to actually then ever finish school and uh, and and be able to support yourself and your family. Um, I would like to thank Cecile Richards for being here on my podcast, Black on the Air. Thank you so much. And uh, guys, I would really hope, really hope for everybody listening out there. This is one of those issues I'm passionate about, not making a partisan issue. Yes. It's a human issue out there. We have to do all we can to protect just the basic rights of people, especially women, especially young, poor women, to just have some decent health care. That's right. At That's the end of the about. day. Thank you, Cecile. Yeah. Thanks, Thank everybody. You, Thank you.